If you're taking notes, title your notes, Tired of Ordinary? Tired of Ordinary. Um, there's only a few things in life that cause change. It's when, to name a few of them, number one is um, when you are sick and tired of something that will cause a change. Uh, another cause of change is your imagination. If you imagine something that's better than what you're experiencing right now, that can cause a change. And then sometimes change causes change. You know, a, a change that abruptly introduced itself into your life, that can cause a change. But specifically, I want to talk to those of you in the room that you're tired of ordinary. It's the mundane. You're just kind of... Um, the, the, there's a term... Uh, in the boating world, I'm not much of a boater, but it's called the doldrums. I don't know if some of you have heard about that term, but when sailboats race against each other, these huge massive sailboats, when they race each other, they're not allowed to use an engine. And so they only use the wind that's in the air that pushes them. Well, if you ever watch that race, sometimes they televise it, sometimes you'll see these 40 or 50 huge sailboats just sitting in the ocean. And it's, it's kind of comical because the announcers, the broadcasters, they're running out of things to talk about because the boats are just sitting there. And you can kind of tell that they're really stretching here. You know, they're talking about the color of the paint on the boat and all this other kind of stuff. They don't have anything to talk about. And the reason why is because the boats aren't moving it's in the middle of the race, but they're not moving because they're experiencing a doldrum. A doldrum is when there's no wind, there's no movement. And when you're in the middle of a doldrum, you want change. Some of you are in a doldrum right now. Everything is fine, but it's just so ordinary that you're about bored out of your mind. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. When I was putting together these notes, I was thinking about um, how McDonald's, anytime you order from them, um, they, and before, let's just hit pause right now. Um, how many of you know what is the number one on the McDonald's menu? Go ahead, raise your hand if you know what the number one is. And now don't lie in church. Raise your hand if you know what the number one is. Let me see who you are. On three, what's the number one? Big Mac. Big Mac. Very good. Very good. How many of you have had a Big Mac in the last year? All right, about seven of you. How many of you would have a Big Mac if it had no caloric punishment? So you like Big Macs, you just don't want to pound a thousand calories. Right? Is that right? How many of you... You don't even like Big Macs. You wouldn't even eat it if it had no caloric punishment. Man. Yeah, it can kind of make you feel full for like a week, right? I understand. But, but Big Mac, not Big Mac, McDonald's, it doesn't matter if you order a number one, number two, number five. It doesn't matter. 
I haven't been to McDonald's in a long time, but, but I remember them saying, do you want to supersize that? Do they still say that? Do you want to supersize it? They always ask you, do you want to supersize it? In other words, you're getting the hamburger that you want, but let's talk a little bit about the french fries and the drink. Would you like to take the size of french fries that you're already getting and just make it supersized, make it bigger? Would you like to take the drink that you have and just make it bigger? Or do you want it as it comes, just the ordinary size fry, the ordinary size drink? And for me, typically, uh, I would say, hey, for 39 cents, let's supersize that bad boy. Let's do what we need to do, because McDonald's has some phenomenal fries. Can everyone give that to them? Let's give that to them. Now, I don't know what happens to those phenomenal fries an hour later. Because the shape and the color of those things just freak me out. I don't understand how food can get smaller and brown within 55 minutes. They actually change shapes. Anyway, we don't need all that. But they always ask, do you want to supersize it? And you got a split decision to make. Do you want to just have an ordinary meal or do you want to supersize it for 39 cents? And, and I feel like we have that option as children of God. That we can say, I don't want just an ordinary life. I'm kind of sick of it. I'm over it. I want to supersize it. I want things to get better and I want them to get better quickly. God gives us that option. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. But while you're turning there, I'm going to read off of the screens a passage from 2 Timothy chapter 2. Um, because there's a teaching there that contrasts ordinary lives with extraordinary lives. And watch how the contrast takes place. It reads like this. In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions and the cheap ones are for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean and you will be ready. Everybody say ready. ready. Come on, say it. Ready. ready. You are ready for the master to use you for every good work. You are ready. And then he goes further to say, run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Instead, pursue righteous living. Faithfulness, love, and peace. Pursue those things. They don't just come to you. Right? Pursue them. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. So what he's saying here is, is there's, there are people that are like fine utensils. It's like the, 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 the silverware. And then there's like wooden utensils and, and we don't really, most people don't have wooden utensils in their house, but a lot of us have a cupboard, and in that cupboard you've got plasticware, 
right? You got plasticware. You got raise your hand if you have plasticware in your house right now. You got plastic spoons, plastic forks, plastic knives. So you got you've got silverware and you've got plasticware. And the plasticware you use for food that's not necessarily a delicacy, right? It's it's something you throw into a lunchbox. You're going to eat a a pudding. Is it pudding? Pudding. What what is it called? A snack a snack pudding. Snack pack pudding. I'm putting pudding in there one way or another. All right. They're a little pudding something or another. Not pudding, pudding, pudding. And, <laughs> but when you come over here to like a steak, some good hot vegetables with some nice seasoning on it. Okay, now we're going to talk about that's a better meal. Guests are here. You're sitting down for dinner. You don't mess with that stuff. You're going to get the good stuff. And, and the Bible is saying there are people that are a lot like the plasticware. Uh, they, they don't set themselves apart in any way at all. Their standards, down here. They do not set themselves apart. They're the person that just says, I just want to go to heaven. I just want to get in. Just, I'm not, I just want to get in. Okay. Ask Jesus into your heart. Make him your Lord and Savior. Cross your fingers that that's, you don't need to, just keep the bar low. Some people live that way. There's other people that say, I, I want to be abundantly clear, God. I want to do all that I need to do. I don't want to have an ordinary life. I am ready for your use. I'm ready. I'm ready. I have done all I know how to do. I am ready for your use. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. You can see that I'm ready, not by what I'm saying. You can see that I'm ready by how I'm living. I'm ready to go. And so uh, what, what, there's a scripture that many of you guys know that you want to ignore because it's perplexing. Here's the scripture in John 14, verse 12. It says, I tell you the truth. This is Jesus talking. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask me for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Now that's one of those scriptures that we're like, we know it's there, but we don't want to talk about it very much because... None of those things are happening. Or maybe some of those things are happening. What things? The miracles that Jesus did. Jesus is saying, you're going to do the same things that I did. And so many of us don't talk about this because we don't see it happening. I'll tell you what's been shaking my soul. Are they not happening? Because... The Lord doesn't want them to happen? Or are they not happening because there's no one saying, I'm ready? Not by their words, 
but by their actions. Look, look, Lord, I, I have set myself apart and I am ready for your use. I am ready to go. I, use me for something special. Use me for something special. I am ready to go. I'm going to tell you that God loves people so much that the miracles and the answered prayers, some of those things, it's not that they're not happening because he doesn't want them to. A lot of times they're not happening because there's nobody staying fervent and steadfast and keeping themselves pure. And the Lord's saying, I want to use somebody. I want to use some people. But my goodness, I've made my desires incredibly clear. I need somebody that is willing to set themselves apart. Set themselves apart. Now, the wisest guy that has ever lived, he brings up three specific things in Ecclesiastes that I feel like if we could just kind of sink our teeth into these areas, what God wants to cultivate in us to move through us in more special ways than ever before can begin to happen. Number one, let's dive into the first verse, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 1. It reads like this, Again I observed all the oppression that takes place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed with no one to comfort them. The oppressors have great power and their victims are helpless. So I concluded that the dead are better off than the living. But most fortunate of all those who are not yet born, for they have not seen all the evil that is done under the sun. What he's talking about here is having a sense of compassion. A compassion is noticing and caring for the oppressed. Now, having compassion for someone is often the ingredients needed for a miracle. Having compassion for someone is usually what God needs to move through you. The Bible says that Jesus came upon them and was moved with compassion and healed many of them. It's compassion. Another way of thinking about compassion, I had someone talk to me about this when I was in Bible school, is compassion can be broken up into come pass it on. Come pass it on. Come pass on what you have. Come pass it on. Um, compassion shook my heart the other day. Um, I was um, I was putting um, a diaper on my daughter. She's two years old. I was putting a diaper on her, and um, she didn't want to go to bed. And uh, she was yelling and she was screaming so loud that that little thing that hangs from your throat was like little 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 little. And and I'm like, you are going to bed. This is not a conversation. This is that you are going to bed. And it was so interesting because she looked at me and she locked eyes with me. And I'm like this and she's looking. She's got tears in her eyes. Tears are coming down. The biggest crocodile tears. And, and typically, this is my third kid. 
I've been putting kids to bed now for 11 years. I'm not moved by that. I'm like, you're going to bed. Me and your mom have been counting down the hours. You're going to bed. Are you with me on that, somebody? You're going to bed. But it was like this freeze frame. She's looking at me. We make eye contact. And I can tell in her eyes that she wants me to help her. That's what I'm getting. And it was almost like I was outside of my body just for a split second. And this, this is about to be a heavy moment, but I need to share it with you. The need, I, I put myself in the place of a parent who has a baby that is sick or ill or handicapped and looking into the mother or father's eyes saying, help me. And the parent can't do anything. And having to feel that at that moment that you're looking at me, you're asking me to help you and I can't. My, my, son, my daughter, when she was six years old, she's 11, my oldest daughter, she was playing kickball or something and she got the air knocked out of her lungs and it was the first time, I'll never forget this, that she experienced having the air knocked out of her lungs. And she looked at me and she goes, what is happening to me? And I just said, just breathe, just, it's okay, just relax. What's happening to me, Daddy? What's happening to me? And so I put the baby to bed. And I told Allie, hey, I need to go up to the guest bedroom for a few minutes. I'll be back. And my wife knows that that means I'm going to go pray. I got on my hands and knees and I started crying out for all of the parents that are all over this world. That have babies and children that are looking at them and saying, help me. Help me, help me. And my heart just began to break and to cry and to break and to cry. And I just squeezed the pillow that my face was in and I just cried out to God. And I said, God, we have got to have your healing power. We've got to have it. We've got to have it. I don't know how it's going to happen, but it's got to happen. And I felt myself so frustrated and so hurt and so mad and so angry and so pain. And I felt all this stuff and I'm praying. And then I just felt like this is so hopeless. And then it dawned on me. The Lord is asking me to pray for them because he wants to do something. He wants to do something. He needs somebody to care. He needs somebody to pray. He needs somebody to, to have those moments of thank you, Lord, for my blessed life. Thank you, God, for blessing me. Thank you, Lord, for blessing me. But at a certain point, to be able to stop looking at themselves and start looking around to people that are hurting and they're oppressed and they're devastated and they have no hope. And pray and do something. A lot of time, I read this book by Pastor John Osteen, Joel's father who passed away years ago. He said, I always knew 
when God was going to use me to pray for somebody and they were going to get healed because I could feel compassion well up within me towards somebody and I would go to that person because I felt so much compassion towards them that I would go pray for them and that's how I knew who God wanted me to pray for that's how I knew who to go pray for that he was going to heal them because I could feel the compassion inside of me the the issue is is that for those of us that our compassion levels are low because we're so self-consumed. And I don't want you to feel beat up. I don't want you to, to feel condemned like I'm making you feel bad. This is something that the Lord's working on within me. But sometimes the enemy is laughing and celebrating because we're so consumed with our own problems and our own burdens that we don't have compassion for people that's getting greater and greater within us. And compassion is how the Lord leads you. He leads you. He takes a compassion. If, if I would have thought about this, it, it's almost like a, the rope is, a, it's not called rope, it's called compassion. And he lassos you with compassion and then pulls you in the direction of where he wants to lead you and then gets inside of you through the Holy Spirit, moves through you to touch them and to bless them and to heal them. But the trouble is, is that there's no, there's no compassion. Your compassion is like a compass that leads you and tells you. No, it, the Bible says that Jesus said, the needy is always among you. Well, there's needy people everywhere. Well, how do you know who God wants to touch? How do you know who God wants to heal? Compassion leads you and tells you, no, no, not her, her. No, 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 not him, him. It leads you. And so that compassion is so incredibly important. And what Solomon is saying is he's going, oh, the oppressed. Listen to this. It's better for the dead people than it is for you. That's what he's saying. And we connect to that, don't we? There are people that say, let me say it this way. I was visiting somebody in the hospital several years ago, full of cancer. I was talking to the doctor. How long are they going to live? The doctor said, dying is not the worst thing that can happen. I went, I want your license. You are the worst doctor ever. He taught me something I'll never forget. He said, sometimes the pain and the hurt and the sick is so bad that staying alive is more painful than just dying and moving on. He goes, families don't understand this, but they just want the pain to be over. They just want the pain to stop. That's what Solomon means, saying the oppression is so great, it's better to be dead and not even be alive. For those of us in this room that are a little, we don't want to say this out loud, but we're, we, how do I want to say this? Um, we, we want to be used more. We want people to be healed the only way true compassion can be cultivated is on our knees asking the Lord to help us 
to say, God, I know 97% of my prayers are about me. Do you know that God answers your prayers and your life progressively gets better? The tide of your battle changes every time you pray. But you have to wonder if we don't, the reason why we don't see people getting healed is because we don't ever pray for those people. The reason why we don't see, because 97% of our prayers are about who? Us. And God answers our prayers. And we want an extraordinary life. I'll challenge the worship team. When you guys are praying, what are you worshiping about? What are you thinking about? If I were a worship leader, I would be worshiping God when I sing. Would you just cause people to get healed out there? When, I, when I'm playing the instrument, would you just cause people to get healed out there? When I'm playing the drum, would you just cause people to get healed about? It's not about what you do anymore. It's about... The, I know when, I know when, when I'm, I'm preaching or, or, or ministering, the best is when I, right before I get up here, I say, God, just let people be closer to you by the time I'm done. When it's about other people, the compassion is there. Then you're saying, I'm, I'm ready for your use. So number one is compassion. If I hit that from about every single direction that you can go from, compassion. Uh, the second one is comparison. And I'm not going to spend as much time on this. Because he says this in verse 4. Then I observed that most people are motivated to succeed because they envy their neighbors. But this, too, is meaningless like chasing the wind. Um, so, so often, you, you really are okay with your car, and you really are okay with your house, and you really are okay with your clothes until you look at someone next to you. You know, um, when I went to Guatemala last summer, I told myself, I'm not going to buy any clothes for like six or seven months, regardless. And I'd come home and I'd get ready to buy a, a clothes or shoes because I, I liked what I saw. And I'd remind myself, Frankie, you have too much clothes. Those people in Guatemala, their, 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 their closet is a string that hangs from one wall to the other in a little, little corner in a right angle, and they take all five of their shirts and they drape it over that string. When I'm over there, I feel as rich as Donald Trump. When I'm over here, I'm just a middle-class dude. I'm fine with how much I have when I'm over there. When I'm over here, I feel like I'm supposed to go buy something new all the time. Do you understand what I mean? This is, this is all comparison. Watch this. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 4, it says, Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. You know what the trouble is sometimes is we compare ourselves to people our age. And so if you're 65, you look at another 65-year-old and you think, man, they, they have accumulated more in their life than I have. If you're 35, you're, it's kind of like a race. Man, they're a lot further along than I am. And then you start dialing it in. Well, what skills do they have that I don't have? And what, 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 who do they know that I don't know? And, and you start comparing, and it's so incredibly toxic. 
It's so toxic. Um, uh, you know, um, let, let me go to number three. In Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse nine, it says this, two people are better off than one. For they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. The third point is companionship. The third point is companionship. This is all within the same chapter. So if you take these three points within this chapter, he's saying cultivate compassion for the oppressed. Compassion. That is so incredibly important because if we don't care, if we don't hurt for people, if we don't care for them, we're not going to pray for them. And if you don't pray for them, you can, always, you can only do so much for them. You've got to pray for them, compassion. And then don't get caught up in the comparison game because it's toxic you either get discouraged or you get arrogant. It's toxic. But then number three, he says, your companionship. Who are your running buddies? Everyone needs an upline and a downline. I really admire Isaiah a lot for this because I talked about this a long time ago, several years ago. And um, he brought it up to me. He goes, I just want you to know, I want to tell you who's on my upline. And I want to tell you, he just volunteered it. This is who I, who's on my downline. You know, you look at life like you're climbing a mountain. And if we were to climb Mount Everest together, first of all, you will know that we both lost our mind. But if we climbed Mount Everest together, there's always somebody on the upline that's pulling you up the mountain. But then beneath you, you're pulling someone else up the mountain. You've always got to have someone on your upline and someone on your downline. If you're taking notes, um, write this down. On your upline, who's your example? Who do you look at and just say, man, you, you're the guy that I'm looking at right now. They may not even know that you're looking at them, but you're looking at them. I remember when my wife and I were on staff at Lakewood, I would stare at Joel. It didn't matter what he did. I'd be staring at him, just staring at him, staring at him, staring at him. I mean, he's, I, I know all of his little, um, his little twitches and tweaks have stared at him so much. If he knew how much I stared at him, he'd call the cops. <laughs> I could tell when he was nervous because it, 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 you could see his jaw kind of, you know what I'm talking about? His, his jaw kind of. So you, you got to be close to see this. But when he's standing there from a distance, he's like this the entire worship set. But if you're close enough, you can see his jaws turning up and he's tense. He's tense about something. And sure enough, you can start looking around and you can find something. There's something wrong in this place. I'm just saying right now, there's something wrong. The sound is too loud. The lights are too bright. Something. He's just tense. And, and, and I'm like, man, I'm going to start doing that when I'm tense. But, you know, I'd even do my hair all curly if I had that option. But, you know, I just, just stare at him all the time. 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 He, he, he's, he's an upline. Uh, you know, the cool thing about the day and age that we live in is anybody you want to mentor you can mentor you. Anyone you want. Billy Graham can mentor you if you want to. He's written 17 or 18 books. Download it on your phone and read it right there. Boom. He can mentor you right then and there. 
Um, you know, some of these people that are rich and famous, they mentored me and they didn't even know it. I took, uh, ate, the meat, ate the meat and spat out the bones, you know. It's just like you can have anybody you want mentor you. Um, who, who do you, who do you, who's your example? Number two, whose counsel do you, do you seek? You, you go ask them for it. Number three, this is your upline. What are your, what are you reading right now? What are you reading right now? What, what is making you better? And here's the big one. Who knows your secrets? Where you're, where you're vulnerable. You know, if, if you struggle with porn, who knows? Who knows you struggle with porn? If you say nobody, you might as well just set your clock. Something bad is going to happen. See, the, the thing about hidden sins is you think you're getting away with it for a long time because you're not getting caught. You're not getting away with it. That's called grace. It's called grace. Who's your relationships? If you struggle with anxiety, if there's a relationship that's really important, but it's, it's on thin ice, who do you talk to about this? I had somebody come up to me recently that's a, a member of our church, strong Christian, but the faith is so thin right now that this person's starting to wonder if all this is even real. Is there really a God? And if I were to bring this person on the stage, you guys would go, what? I can't believe you would ever think that. But they have somebody to talk to about their struggle. If you have never doubted, you have never truly believed. Because in the season of doubt, you claw for the truth. And then you truly believe. So if you've never doubted before, you've never truly believed. And every time doubt comes up, you have an opportunity to strengthen your faith. Um, who's on your downline? Who, who are you chasing? Who is not in church that you are planning on getting in church? Who are you chasing? If you're not chasing anyone Somebody needs to tell you this. You don't have anyone on your downline. And then who are you investing into? It, sometimes that's the same person and sometimes it isn't. Who are you investing into? Everyone has to have an upline and a downline. See, whenever we're cultivating compassion... And we're refusing to allow us to drink the poison of comparison. And we're very particular and strict about our companionship. What we are doing is we're saying, Lord, I am setting myself apart for your use. And I am ready. I am ready. My heart is full of compassion for your people and your kingdom. And I just want to say that that is something that has to be built up and cultivated. You can't just say, I care. Okay, that sounds awesome. I've got compassion. I'm, I'm sure you do, and, and so do I. Um, but to really have compassion, it's got to be built up. And sometimes, for me anyway, I don't know about you, for me, 
the more I care, I know I'm really caring when I can feel myself hurting. 